This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? You know you do. And that is The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-notch podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, and has only gotten better. Jordan goes deep with fascinating people, from authors and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. During his discussions, Jordan pulls out tactical bits of wisdom for you to use to become a more informed, critical thinker. You'll learn and have a good time. He's very easy to listen to. My two recent favorites are Episode 972, Mustafa Suleiman, The Coming Wave of Artificial Intelligence, and Episode 843, Ellie Honig, How the Rich Get Away with Crime. You can't go wrong adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. As you know, Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks, and a lot more. This time, I would like to recommend Jeff Shara's first novel in his World War II series, The Rising Tide. What's great about this book is its intimate level when dealing with all the well-known, but also more obscure, characters. The research is amazing, and the writing is fantastic. But honestly, the reader takes all this to another level. His ability with voices and accents is first class. The book covers Hitler's string of victories, as well as explaining how the U.S. was drawn into the war. Then the book slows down as the Americans learn the hard way about fighting in this modern war. Now, I haven't recommended this book before, uh, even though I've listened to it twice, uh, because for the longest time it was a two-credit book. You don't really need to know what that means, but... What it comes down to is you couldn't have got it for free when you signed up for a free 30-day trial. But now that some time has passed and he's come out with other books in the series, you can. So check it out. I think you'll like it a lot. Or if you want to, you can check out one of his other books um, in the series. Also, he's done um, books on World War One and the Civil War. And trust me, all of his writing is amazing. The research is uh, very detailed. And he always gets good readers for his books. So I think you'll like it a lot. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Talk History episode. Uh, this time today, we have Stephen Guerra with us from the History of the Papacy podcast. Um, it's something new that he's launched. I hope you all check it out. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Uh, Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm glad to be on. Thank you very much for joining us. So I have to be honest with you. Um, I came very close to starting my own. Uh, I was just going to be lame and call it the History of the Popes uh, podcast. I like your title better. 
So I borrowed a whole bunch of books from my brother-in-law, who's a priest. Now I have to ship them all back. But when I found, when you told me you were going to do your podcast, I got excited because now I can listen to them all and I don't have to do any of the work. So I think that's great. So I just, again, just want to thank you for, um, for being with us. So what made you decide to enjoy the hurt and pain of doing a podcast? You know, I thought I've been listening to these podcasts all the time and I just wanted to jump in it, It's been so much fun doing all this research and that actually people want to listen to it. That's just a bonus on top of it all. Yeah, I think you were, I think we met through the, the history podcast page on Facebook. Isn't that right? Yeah. And I think we were talking back and forth and you, and you told us you were going to do when you just had to, to come up with the, uh, with the subject matter. So what made you decide on the history of the papacy? Yeah, it's so wide open. There's so many different avenues you can take. And I figured I don't really have to go from the first pope to uh, Benedict XVI. I can stop along the way, take some sidetracks. And so then it'll keep, you know, with my ADD personality, it can <laughs> it can keep me interested for many years to come. There you go. So if you're interested, uh, everybody else should be interested as well. So it's kind of like what um, Laszlo Montgomery of the China History Podcast does. He just kind of jumps around, you know, what's what what interests me at this point. And, you know, you've got thousands of years to just kind of jump around. I think that's really neat. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, you know, so themes develop and be able to take it in whatever direction it goes in. Yeah, you're almost doing the history of, I guess, Central Europe or I guess the history of Europe uh, for the last 2000 years. So, yeah, like you said, it's wide open. And and uh, I encourage you to explore that because there are people that have podcasts and they do and they kind of go off on tangents. And that's OK, because if it's something we don't know, we enjoy learning it. And that's the whole point of you know listening to a podcast in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you've um, you've listened to the last couple of episodes. Um, what would you like to talk about or, or uh, delve well further into? Well, I didn't know much about the Greece, the history of Greece and the war. I think most of what you learn about is when the Germans came in. What would it be about a year later? Give yeah. or take. Actually, I think it's um, March or April of 41 when they come in. Uh, yeah, Mussolini is pretty much backed up to the wall. Uh, Hitler can't let this stand, so he's got to jump in. And when the Germans come in, it, it's over with pretty quickly. But, uh, yeah, that's going to happen in the future. But um, Mussolini, Italy just wasn't ready for this, and they and they just jumped into it. And they've already had to worry about the British in North Africa and in the Mediterranean. And then just trying to keep up with Hitler, almost like a, a spitting contest. He decides to invade Greece and um, really pays the price for it. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, listening to it, it's like, what a mess they got themselves into. It's just like one thing after another. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I am... Um... I haven't I haven't done this yet, but I was thinking thinking the other day when I was um, trying to get ready for this show. And if you sit back and think about it, it's pretty amazing. Um, Mussolini comes to power in 1922. He's the big man on stage, the big man on campus. He's flamboyant. Um, he's a little dangerous. He's a little sexy. You know, he's like the he's like exactly. the Rolling Stones of, of Europe compared to the Beatles. And he sits out the war in Poland. He finally jumps in when France is all but beaten. And if you think about it, it pretty much goes like this. He tries to take some of southern France. His men get their butt kicked. And then he um, goes into the Mediterranean. And General, uh, excuse me, Admiral Cunningham hands him two decisive defeats early in the summer. And then Graziani invades 
Egypt only goes 60 miles and stops. And then, then you have his uh, war in Greece, which is going to end up horrible. He's going to push the men. I think um, the, Greeks, the Greeks are going to push the men all the way back almost to the Adriatic coast. Then you've got Taranto, the defeat. Then you've got the British pushing his men back in North Africa. So he went from this rock star to a matter of months to every, every, almost every front he had was just pushed back on. And, and he just couldn't have been more sad. And there's no number of mistresses that are going to make you feel better after yeah. all that has happened to you. <laughs> And it just seems to me like there was no real point to it all besides, you know, that that whole Mare Nostrum idea that it's like big deal. The Greece didn't really do anything for them. It was just it seemed more of an idea than that there was any real economic boon or more resources or something like that. Exactly. They spent more money and lost, you know, more resources and, and men trying to take it than what they ever got out of it. And um and I, even though I think I'm going to cover this right after the Battle of Taranto, or should I should should say the attack of Taranto, um, Mussolini is going to turn to his son-in-law Chiana and go, you know, maybe I should get Hitler to uh, to intervene, act as the middle guy, and maybe we can talk out a peace plan with um, with Greece. And Chiana's like, yeah, you really don't want to do that because it would you would just lose huge face. You can't do that, and you've got your partner Hitler, who's let's be honest, he's the senior partner, and he there's no way. He's going to go for that. So he he was in such um, depths of despair. He thought about, um, you know, coming up with a peace plan with Greece, but there was no way that Hitler was going to let that happen. Yeah, it's inc- and then just the whole thing with Britain, because you kind of you got to get yourself in the mindset that Britain was completely on their own at that point, and you're thinking like, man, why don't they just help them out a little bit here? And then, but they couldn't. Yeah, they they were so between what happened in Norway, what happened in Dunkirk, and what happened when France fall. The British are tough, and they're going to stay in the war. But you got to admit, I mean, they've just they've taken some serious body blows, and they have the mentality that well, we would love to pour resources into Greece, but we, just like everyone else, think this is going to be over within two or three weeks, as in Greece is going to be run over, you know, if they had a crystal ball and they could have seen what was going to happen. Yeah, they would have poured a lot more, but just like everyone else, um, they're like, this is just going to be another quick access um, victory, and there's no point in throwing the money away. Um, but obviously, um, the Texas and the Greek uh, warriors had a lot. Um, um, they were going to show the world, and, and for a while they did. I mean, they had the time to set up. I mean, that was another mistake is you don't give even somebody you think you're going to roll over that much time. Yeah, yeah. Hitler was obsessed with keeping the East calm because he didn't want Stalin, who was already suspicious and paranoid, to be any more suspicious and paranoid. He wanted it calm so he could go in there and do like a sucker punch body blow. And here's Mussolini making it quite clear that one day I will attack Greece. Greece's leader is a military expert who's trained in Germany, you know, back in World War One. And you don't give someone with that kind of experience and knowledge. And because it was more or less a dictatorship, that kind of control, you don't give him that much time to prepare, even though they don't have a lot of resources or money or the amazing air force that uh, it's Italy had. He's going to try and defend his country somehow. And they should have taken that into account. And they didn't. And it was just um, it was crazy. It makes no military sense whatsoever. And who in the in Bulgaria? Who are they allied to at that point? Well, the the funny thing was, if 
if Mussolini had gone to Hitler and he said, okay, I want to take Greece and I don't really want your help as in military troops, but I want your political influence. The Bulgarians would have given in to Hitler and helped attack Greece. Um, but, but Mussolini, um, to be quite blunt on his own, didn't have the mili- didn't have the clout, didn't have the political and military clout to intimidate Bulgaria enough to actually step into this. But at the same time, Bulgaria had to keep their eye on uh, Yugoslavia and Turkey, which we haven't gotten into yet. We'll get into that. But if he had just asked for um, Hitler's um, assistance, at least politically, you know, Bulgaria would have come in and it could have been a very different war. But he didn't because, I don't know, arrogance or probably more like military naivete. And he, you know, his men paid the price for it. Well, I think, I mean, the, Mussolini, he was in power for a, for a long time at that yeah. point. Yeah, since 1922. And people, you know, even in America, for that a long time, people thought that he was, you know, he was running the model state and everything. So, I mean, that could get to your head. Absolutely. I mean, he was... He was already in love with himself um, uh, early on, but to, but when he actually became um, the leader of Italy, um, he was going to. I mean, it just it just fueled that. I don't know if you want to call it ego or whatever. It just fueled it all the more. And um, if you, if you believe in that, if you're his enemy and you believe in that, you're going to cower before the fight starts. And and Greece just didn't fall for that. Um, they were going to resist, and they came up with a plan. And and for a while, it worked. And then Metaxas was something else that was really <clears throat> that was interesting. You know, I had no idea that's something you don't you don't learn about either. Yeah. What is what do, do you have um, any um, perception on how he's thought of in Greece today? Is he like a national hero or no? I I think from what I've read, and I could be wrong. And if anyone's listening to this, please send me an email. I don't think there are statues of him all over the place but now they do celebrate um like i was i said in one of the podcasts they do celebrate on october 28th when when he says no but what they what they celebrate is greece standing up to italy it's like the national no day so metexas you would think would be a hero but at the same time you have to remember he was a dictator he um he had a very effective secret police they kept their uh opposition um, suppressed rather harshly. So he did what he needed to do. And a lot of the Greeks said, I hate his guts and I wish I could shoot him in the head, but he's a heck of a fighter. And since we're on the same side against the Italians, I'll join the fight, but that doesn't mean I love him. I don't think he's a folk hero in Greece, but I, but I think they celebrate their um, desire to keep their freedom in whatever form that they had it in 1940. Yeah, that's really, I mean, that's interesting. And then, you know the thing that they never that never comes up too much is about Romania either. How you know that was the oil central, that was more important for oil production than the Middle East was. Yeah, as far as the Axis were concerned, they needed the Ploesti oil fields and they needed to keep it out of um, Stalin's hands. And so, um, basically, Ro- Romania was sacrificed. Um, Hitler sacrificed them to a lot of for a lot of different reasons to a lot of different countries. But he was going to make sure that he held on to the oil no matter what. And you made a pretty good point um, earlier when you said that most people think about Greece and they think about the Germans coming in in April. I think it was April of 41. But, yeah, I had to do some serious digging to find up. Um, to find some books on this. And, and one of the listeners, a Professor Mike, he just calls himself Professor Mike. He has a PhD. Uh, he gave me a list of books, and he sent me some uh, copies of some original documents. And if it wasn't for him, I, uh, I would have struggled. 
um, trying to find this material. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing, and, and I was literally learning as I was going along. Is there anything else that you learned in there that didn't make the podcast that was interesting? Or um... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of little things. Um, the, uh, the people, like I said, the people weren't very happy with him, but it was almost like after Pearl Harbor here. The people who hated Ro- Roosevelt um, and the whole isolationist thing, uh, the second we're attacked, we're, now we're, we're together, we have a common enemy. Metexas had no more or very little trouble after the Italians attack. Everybody's on the side. Yeah, I hate him, but we're on the same side. And he knew what he was doing. Um, and the secret police uh, didn't have to work so hard um, suppressing the people. They certainly kept their foot on the throats of the communists. But overall, the people were like, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, like I said, women and children were given over their given over their pack animals to the soldiers and they were just, you know, even though they needed these things to live, they were just giving up whatever food or, or foodstuffs or just clothes and, and their pack animals to the soldiers. Okay, go defend us, go fight. And for a while they were all together as, as much as any country could be. Yeah. You really see why Greece might have a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. They thought that Germany was in their corner that whole time. I mean, is that what, that seemed to be what it was going on is that they thought that Germany was going to go to bat for them. Yeah, that that part, um, I, I'm not sure I fully understand it, but there was a certain segment. And just just like any country, you know, there are, there are Americans who live in other countries. There were Greeks who lived in Germany and worked in uh, Berlin, and they convinced themselves. I don't think the Germans did anything to help them. I think they just convinced themselves that there's no way Hitler's going to let this happen. Well, guess what? To a certain degree, Hitler didn't know it was going to happen until it was too late. But I think they were just afraid. And sometimes when people get afraid, certainly collectively, they, they, they're able to justify anything. And they're like, oh, Hitler's not going to let this happen. There's no way. And so they kept – they held on to that because literally they had nothing else they, just like everyone else, thought if Italy attacks us, this is going to be over within days and we're just going to be another occupied uh, territory added to the, um, you know, added to Mussolini's belt. I wonder what would have happened if Italy had won, if they did swoop in. Yeah. Uh, if they had if they had swooped in one, uh, Mussolini would have shouted it from the mountaintops <laughs> and he would have celebrated. I'm sure he would have uh, given himself some more awards and promoted some more generals. And then he would have he would have probably been emboldened to go after other countries. Um, but after this, Hitler's going to have to save him. And then Hitler's pretty much calling the shots. And the Germans are going to be um, pretty much giving directives. OK, you can do this, but don't go too far with this. And the Mediterranean do this, but don't go too far. You know, that kind of thing. So after Hitler saves him. Hitler's truly in the driver's seat. He is already, but Mussolini doesn't know that or doesn't want to believe that. Yeah, probably after that point, Mussolini's smoking cigars and yeah, yeah, he, hanging out. Yeah, he was in his own little world. And but what's amazing is, I guess it's his ego. He's gonna he's gonna bounce back from this. As humiliating as this is, he's gonna bounce back, and and he still thinks, just like a lot of other people think that. Italy might not end up ruling Europe, but Germany is. And if we're their partner, I'd rather be a junior partner on the winning side than the leader on the losing side. So he's going to, to a certain degree, bounce back. But in Italy, it's all going to start to fall apart. Uh, the people aren't. The people really didn't hate the Italian people. They just want to live their lives. They don't hate all these other countries. They saw the pact with 
um, between Italy and Germany as really between Mussolini and Hitler, and they didn't want any part of it. They're like, okay, if you want to be his partner, that's fine, but leave me alone. I'm a, I'm a person. I live in you know, I live in the mountains or I live in the countryside, and I have my life, and I'm doing my thing. Don't involve me. So the Italians didn't really see it that way, but um, Mussolini was able to get enough of the men together to form his armies to do his thing. But uh, but it's going to fall apart really quickly because, you know, in, by the time 43 comes, um, Italy is officially out of the war and, and you know, America's uh, – the Allied troops are, are sort of starting to come up. So when it falls apart, it's going to fall apart pretty fast. Where was Mussolini's power base? Was it in the north? Um, oh, my God. I used to know the answer to this. Uh, let's see here. There, as far as the countryside, the rural side, he really didn't have a lot of influence. I mean, this is going to be hard to believe, but there are literally – there were people in Italy who the war did almost not affect them. I mean, they lived their lives and they grew their crops or, or whatever, they, you know, they, they were growing or, or, cow, or animals or whatever. And a lot of them were almost untouched by the war, except for maybe some of the bombing or when the troops came in. But there was a certain segment, the more, the more cosmopolitan, the, uh, the cities, the, 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 the societies around cities were his power base. But a lot of people just didn't care, and they just wanted to live their life and not be bothered. And, you know, in a lot of ways, America was, was going to be like that. There's, you know, America's just so vast. There was a lot of people who were just living their lives, and, you know, it didn't touch them. And it's the same thing in, in Italy. Yeah, Spain is that way. Mm-hmm. That that's the big that's the big question. If Mussolini hadn't lost his prestige in the Greek War, could he have talked Franco into doing something more, um, or maybe even got the the Vichy French to give their navy over to the Axis? You just never know. But after this, um, it, it's over for Mussolini. He's just going to be the junior partner and do whatever he's told, and he'll 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 bitch about it, but he'll he'll do it and and, <laughs> and go on with his life because hey, he has no choice. Hey everyone, Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill. And I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house in getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Where are you going with the next? I'm going to cover the, um, well, what I'm trying to do, and I almost wish I could come out with the episodes really fast, like the way it happened, because if you think about it, Italy attacks Greece, they get pushed back, then Taranto, the Battle of Taranto, where they, uh, where they lose all these ships. They're going to be out of commission for for months, and then right after that, the um, the Greeks push the Italians back into Albania, almost into the sea. Then the Germans come in, and so for him, it's just one bad thing after another. Um, and so the Germans come in, they they take over Greece pretty quickly, which is even more embarrassing for Mussolini. 
So I'll probably cover that for a while. But then you got to remember in December, is it December 9th? Um, December, that's when the British push in North Africa and they push for hundreds of miles, I think back into Tripoli. So it's only going to get worse for Mussolini. But I, I guess I wish I could convey how fast and how bad it gets for Italy and Mussolini on a personal level when everybody, everything that he touches just goes wrong and it just looks so bad so quickly. Um, I won't be able to really convey that because it's going to take, you know, weeks and weeks for all these episodes to come out, but I'm going to try and just show how fast everything just falls apart everywhere. And Oh my God, what do you do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, what a way to go out. Yeah. And then he's, then he's hacked. Then he's hacked yeah. to pieces by his own people. Um, I've seen photos on the um, on the web on the internet, which I don't think I don't know if I'll put them on the website. They're pretty gruesome, but I mean, they, his people literally tear him apart. So he goes from the great man to being a junior partner to being ripped apart by his own people. I mean, that's a story right there. That's just amazing. Twenty odd years in power, and that's yeah. that's how you end. And all I mean, that's it. Yeah, it's like Nero or something. Yeah, just stretched out. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real part of the war you don't hear about enough. Yeah, he he gets it's not really fair because in some ways he was politically shrewd. He was adept. He just um he kind of did what what Stalin did before the war. He picked people who were loyal or sycophants as opposed to their um military prowess or their ability or their organizational skills or whatever. He had yes men around him when he should have had professionals around him. There were professionals in different positions when he first came to power, but over time they get weeded out. And so he's got all these men who are very loyal or at least to his face, but they're not very competent. And so there's just a huge um almost countrywide breakdown in, 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 um, in talent and they're, and they're going to pay the price for it. Yeah. All that nationalism too. I mean, it's, you know, instead of making a smart military move, what's going to make us look better. Exactly. I think one of the things that's hard for us to grasp nowadays, and to be honest with you, I, I occasionally forget it and I have to remind myself, it was almost like, our army is going to beat your army because our system of government is, is fascist and fascist is superior to democracy. So we're going to have a better system. We're going to have better warriors. And so when we win this war, it's because fascism is better than democracy or, or parliamentary, you know, whatever the system yeah. of government is. But they took that, the, the, I guess I should say Mussolini and Hitler, they took that very seriously. I mean, they, that stuff came out of their mouths and in, you never know how much they believed it, but but it was literally literally to them a type of government versus a type of government. And nowadays, we just it's hard for us to imagine that we're like, what are you talking about? Because we already know what's going to happen. But for them, it was like the fascists are invulnerable. Up until this point, they had not really put a foot wrong, and everybody assumed they were going to win in Greece because they had won everywhere else. It didn't matter if it was Nazi Germany or fascist Italy because of their system of government, because of the way they could control and organize uh, their the resources of that state. They were going to win. And Hitler, one of the things that frustrated Hitler was, I'm trying to negotiate with all these um, all these countries. I'm trying to keep Stalin pacified and subdued over there. And here you are, you're blowing the mystique of of um, fascism. Everything we seemed unstoppable up until this point, and because of you, I got to go in there and fix it now. But yeah. that, that really was a, a real element um, politically and militarily throughout Europe. 
And it just seemed, it would, you know, they, you had a matter of logistics, too. I think that the, you know, they were so obsessed with the cool uniforms and cool weapons and stuff like that, and they never thought that stuff out, which would probably is what will be their downfall not too many years later. Yeah, there was a, a German... A German military attaché sent to North Africa before the British come in, I think, on December 9th. And he says, if we send troops here, if we send tanks here, if we send anything here, they're not going to be resupplied because the organization behind the main lines that Italy uses is so flawed that you can't count on regular resources. And we all know that uh, even though it's not sexy, wars are won because of good organization behind the lines. You're going yeah. to you're get your you're going to get your reinforcements. You're going to get your ammo. You're going to get your food. You're going to be able to take care of your sick and your wounded. That's what wins that what uh, wins wars. It's not sexy, but it's true. And the Italians ignored that. The Germans were obsessed with it uh, to a certain degree and up to a certain point, and they just fared a lot better until it all started breaking down for them. Yeah, they just never had enough stuff. Yeah. Boots, like you said, that one. Where was it? In, um, where a thing of blankets burned down or something? Yeah, there was a huge. There was a huge storage in, in Athens, and it caught on fire. And no one knows was it the communists, you know, on orders from Moscow or whatever, uh, or was it just a bizarre accident? But the Greeks literally lost two hundred thousand blankets as winter's coming on, and they could have really used them. But even though their their boots, which weren't the best made, are starting to fall apart as they trudge through the mountains, they're still kicking the crap out of the Italians um, without without enough blankets, without proper shoes, th- because they're they're pissed off, they're angry, they feel cheated, they've done everything they could to stay out of the war, and they get invaded anyway, and it just really made them angry, and they took it personally as a country, and they just fought back with a tenacity that had nothing to do with boots or blankets. They were just going to. Uh, they they felt violated, and they were going to fight back. I don't know if it, maybe this is somewhat controversial. I mm-hmm. almost wonder with World War II, like you, it's so much of the big battles, Kursk and D-Day. But think about all these, you know, these big machines like the German army. You know, they really got worn down by the guerrilla movements and the asymmetrical warfare. Yeah, like um, you know, you have the Dutch resistance and the French resistance. Um, a lot of Poland, where it was all behind the line stuff, where the Germans, you know, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't rest in the rear because you had, you know, they could get bombed. It's kind of, you know, I don't know if we want to go here or not with what's what might be happening in Afghanistan to us and at Russia. You know, you have these military machines that can, you know, they crush conventional forces, but it's really hard to deal with the unconventional you know i thought a lot about that how do you deal with them yeah over time uh, it's almost like a cycle over time as the axis does worse in their battles the people feel uh, emboldened and so they start to resist in little ways and sometimes not little ways and the germans and the italians have to spend so much time and resources and manpower suppressing what they should have already conquered that they can't send those extra resources and then to the front lines to deal with the current battle. And yeah, that's going to happen a lot. I think it was in um, Denmark for the first couple of years. I mean, the Germans were pretty nice because they really didn't have a reason to suppress, you know, except for the Jewish population. population. Uh, but after a while, everybody starts resisting, and they have to spend so much time and resources that it's going to affect the overall war. And they kind of did, did it to themselves. And the reason they were 
being cruel and suppressing is because their ideology, we're humans, you're subhumans, you deserve to be treated this way, um, and we're going to exploit you up until you die, and, and they suffered for, for that philosophy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, well, I don't think the Nazis really had the soft touch in them. Yeah. But what do you do? If you crush them, you kill my brother who was in the resistance. Well, maybe I really didn't care about the resistance so much. I want to get along to get along. But then you just killed my brother. You know, maybe I should join the resistance now. Yeah, it got very personal very quickly, especially in countries like France where the French um, resistance and of course Britain was doing everything they could to help them and encourage them but uh, yeah, it got ugly uh, very quickly and then even after the war, which I hope to go into people had to live with what either they did or didn't do during the war and in some ways it, you know, you have to, uh, this sounds cruel but you almost have to wait for a generation or two to pass away before it's not personal anymore you know oh yeah i mean what a mess yeah. i mean that stuff i mean those wounds like that are probably still open over there yeah you got to think of all the trouble that greece is having now economically and german germany is an economic powerhouse i mean you think that's got to touch uh some sore spots but i'm certainly not an expert uh in that and i'll leave that to someone else to to uh, to analyze yeah i don't who knows how many Greek listeners are out there? But that you might be touching a live wire. Yeah, there. yeah. Well, they should be. They should be proud of what they did. I mean, with considering what they didn't have uh, compared to what the Italians had, they did an amazing thing. And um, again, it's almost like um, the British, if they had waited until Hitler attacked the Soviet Union and then went after Italy, uh, Hitler would have been um, caught up in the war against Russia and he wouldn't have been able to do too much about it. It's almost like if the Greeks hadn't, same thing with the Greeks, if they hadn't pushed back so hard and so quickly and so successfully, maybe wait. And of course, they don't know that, that Hitler is going to go after uh, Stalin in Russia. But once once Germany is committed to the East. I mean, that's when things really open up because he's got to send all his resources to deal with that vast territory. But that's the way the timing worked out, and, and they just had to do the best they could. And then what's coming up? They, the Germans wind up trying to attack Crete because Crete was a pretty big deal. Yeah, um, the British were obsessed with that just because it was just too darn close to the, to the Suez. That had to be kept safe. Um, so they sent troops there so the 5th Division, the 5th Greek Division on Crete can go help fight on the mainland. Well, that's fine, but that's – and this is a whole long story, but the short version is uh, Hitler is talked into an airborne assault by the commander of the airborne troops. So they do that. They lose a lot of men, but it works, and then the British have to leave Crete – and again, it's just part of that overall, you know, can can the Germans lose? This is just amazing. They just beat us everywhere. But as we all know now, Hitler started preparing for war when he came to power in 1933. And they just had, you know, years and years of head, of a head start to get their men ready, get, build up enough tanks and planes and equipment and arms and all that kind of stuff. So they, they had a huge head start, head start. They made the most of it, but then, um, and you can argue this all day long, but then Hitler goes too far by trying to take out the Soviet Union before Britain um, is finished. And he just made a mistake and he overreached and uh, paid the price for it. And it never made sense to me why, I mean, I guess, he was so antagonistic to Britain. He tried, but, you know, he tried to be, it seemed like his, um, 
any of the peace he tried to do was kind of half-hearted. And, you know, again, peace wasn't really in his agenda. Yeah, he just wanted them to acknowledge his mastery of Europe. Okay, you get to keep your empire, Britain. Europe is mine. And just acknowledge that. And it drove him crazy that Churchill and the British would not do that. But when it came to Russia, it was just, it was personal. He hated fascism. I mean, excuse me, he hated uh, communism. He hated Stalin. And uh, it it was, but it was... It was visceral. It was personal, and it wasn't just a um, uh, a political military decision. Let me. T- this is my next opponent. He wanted to wipe them out. The Slavic race. He hated Stalin. He hated uh, communism, and it was personal. So once he commits to it, he's going to throw everything he possibly can at it. And Rommel in North Africa is going to pay the ultimate price for that. Yeah, I mean that was just murder. Yeah, in the east. When the Germans first go into Soviet Union, the people there are thinking, oh, these are my liberators. These are my liberators. Well, they didn't – you know, they could have played it smart. They could have treated the people well and got them to help fight. But no, the people, because they were Slavic or whatever, they were the actual enemy too. So they were going to be treated uh, badly. They were going to be murdered. They were going to be used as slave labor and then killed off. He wanted the entire country depopulate, depopulated so they can move Germans into it because they needed the Ukraine for all its wheat and, and stuff like that that but um again he just he misstepped there too um thank goodness look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey (sighs) well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I mean, it's such a monstrous policy just on the surface. But then I wonder if Germany really did have such an excess population that, you know, that they really could have made something of these vast territories. You know, the Ukraine, it's massive. Yeah, not really one. He just wanted to deny Russians their own food, but also, you know, the, the mothers in Germany were encouraged to have a lot of children and they got, I, I don't re- remember the exact, um, uh, the exact words, but they were, they were given little medals and, and, um, status if they had more children, if they had more boys. So they might not have needed the land right now, but they would have needed it, needed it according to Hitler's design, um, plan you know, a decade or two or whatever down the road. But it was mostly to get it away from the Russians and have them all starve to death and be defeated. Yeah, it was personal. It was personal. Yeah, that's very personal. Because if he would have, I mean, if he would have played it smart, kept Russia out of the game for another year, Yeah. who knows what could have happened. Well, the the very thing that made him an effective leader uh, was also his downfall because he... You know, he pushed everybody in the country. I mean, he pushed his his military leaders. But that same thing, that, that tenacity made him overreach. And that's just kind of the way it went. Well, I, I appreciate you being with us. Um, again, I'm looking forward to your uh, to your podcast. And I'm and I'm a little bit you know jealous that you beat me to the punch. But I, I I'm looking forward to listening. And I and again, I hope you have fun with it. And I hope you learn a lot because. Um, that's 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 mostly why we're doing this, I think, and um, I think the the um, listeners will appreciate your enthusiasm because you're learning along with them. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me on. Sure. Anybody who wants to find the page, you can find the the um, podcast at Facebook at the History of the Papacy Podcast Facebook um, page. 
And what's the well, website? The website is a2zhistory at libsyn.com. So it's A-T-O-Z history page at libsyn, libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N. And you can also email me at a2zhistory page at gmail.com. If there's something you want to learn more about or say, hey, you got it all wrong, I'd love to hear from you one way or the other. Yeah, I'll back up somewhere short of the Big Bang. Probably. There you see, there you go. You got it covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to be doing this as long as I am, so great. I don't want to be alone. full steam ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Has that, there needs to be another history cage match. Yeah, I think we're all – this is kind of funny. I think we're all so – um, we're friendly, but we're competitive. We're spending so much time and energy trying to get out the next episode to be higher, higher ranked on iTunes. We don't, <laughs> have, we don't have the time or the energy to actually get together and be nice to each other. But hopefully there'll be another one. And now that you're a fellow podcaster, obviously I'd, uh, I'd like to see you in there um, as long as we're on the same side. And uh, I, think it could be, I think it could be a lot of fun. So I just want to uh, thank you for being on and spending uh, time with us. Uh, good luck with the podcast. And I will certainly, I've already subscribed and I'll certainly be listening. Uh, and as one of the, your fellow podcasters, anything I can ever do to help, I would be glad to. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a blast, and hopefully we can do this again um, sometime in the future. So, uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, uh, episode 70 will be out soon, the the Battle of Taranto, and uh, hopefully within a week or two, uh, Stephen's next episode will be out, and please check out his podcast and uh, help him out all you can. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening, and as always, take care. <laughs>